Hello, this is not a council hearing. This is hearing the council. You can't have a government without a council, and you can't have a government radio station without a council show. This is the council show. We're coming to you from the headquarters of the Office of Cable, Television, Film, Music, and Entertainment. It's also the historic home of black entertainment television, so it's exciting to be here. My name's Josh Gibson. I'm your host. I'm the Director of Communications for the Council. You may also know me from Twitter. Uh, I am at Council of DC. My reputation precedes me, for better or for worse. And uh, the philosophy of our communications at the Council is, as we, we lay it out on Twitter, is that we want to engage with residents in an informative and conversational way and sometimes even be enjoyable. So that is also going to be the mission of uh, this radio show. It's the uh, Mary Poppins School of Communication that a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. We're trying to make it easier for average residents to understand what the council does. We're demystifying our work and the people who do it. So, dearly beloved, we're gathered here today to celebrate this thing called the council. And... Each week, we're going to be interviewing a different council member. 52 weeks in a year, 13 council members in a council. So in theory, we're going to be seeing each of the council members four times. So hopefully, we're going to get to go pretty deep with them in the long run. The first interview, though, is going to be kind of a getting to know you interview. And uh, without any further ado, we will proceed to our first guest in the history of this show, who is council member Brianna Doe of Ward 1 who is also, full disclosure, my personal council member. How are you doing today, council member? I'm doing great, Josh. Thanks for having me. No pressure on the inaugural show. No, it should be uh, easy, hopefully easy uh, easy speaking for us and easy listening for, for the audience. Sure, sure, but let's not blow it. No, not going to happen. <laughs> okay. Not going to happen. So uh, let, let's start at the beginning. Where, where did you grow up? Tell us a little bit about where you grew up and how it formed Sure. Who you are now. So I grew up in Gross Point, Michigan, just outside Detroit, and I'm the youngest of three girls. I'm sorry, the oldest of three girls. And um, so I grew up in a family that was really active and committed to progressive causes and candidates. And um, that's the way I was raised and actually got involved um, as early as age 11, knocking on doors for a school board candidate. And, and that's how I grew up, just working on campaigns and, and fighting for the good fights. Now, were most of the folks where you grew up people that had that kind of perspective, or what, what did people think about Washington, D.C.? When you go home and mention you live in D.C., what, what kind of thoughts does that evoke? Well, you know, I think uh, the most hated body in our country has always been Congress. Uh, I think that's true wherever you live. Um, How dare you? <laughs> I mean, I've seen the numbers. You've seen them, too. Uh, so I actually grew up in a community that um, is pretty Republican. Um, so to be a Democrat in that space um, was really different. Um, and also, um, I'm Jewish, and that neighborhood is definitely not very Jewish. So I grew up as sort of um, uh, someone who was constantly explaining my traditions and my values. And I think that led me to the career that I'm in now, um, all that exposition throughout my childhood. Yeah. I, I also understand you were a Girl Scout. Yes. So how does that uh, speak to your work day in and day out? Well, there's a lot fewer badges on the council. 
fewer batches. It's true. Although still quite a few cookies. Um, the Girl Scouts do roll through the office building. Absolutely. Uh, I was a Girl Scout for 13 years and that was one of the most formative experiences I had in my life. I learned to look for work and leave things better than I found them. Uh, I made lifelong friends, uh, learned life lessons, and I still apply those values every day to my work. Another element of your life, uh, now a more a later element than, than from your youth, is you're a triathlete. Yes. Which to me is a sign of insanity. Yes. I'm retired now, um, but I did uh, five or six triathlons when I was um, active, and it was actually just a challenge. I was retiring from the Advisory Neighborhood Commission, and I thought, well, I'm going to have all this free time. What will I do? Obviously, a triathlon. Obviously. Right, and council was plan B if the whole triathlon thing didn't work out. <laughs> yeah, I actually did my training for the tri at the uh, Marie Reed Community Pool, which is now fully restored. And in addition to offering community hours now, teaches our children at three different schools how to swim, which is pretty cool. Yes, and in the interest of full disclosure, that's where my daughter goes. Yes. Has she learned to swim yet? Yes. Yeah, it's, yes, a, she has. it's a great program. Absolutely. It's a great program. What was your, you talked about your, your work on a campaign before you came here. What was your first uh, leadership role in any element of your life? Well, I was always drawn to leadership roles. Um, so let's say the most significant one, I think high school was really where I, I, I started getting more involved. That's probably most people's earliest opportunity to run for office, right? So I was the student body secretary my senior year, but I was also editor of our weekly paper. Um, and our weekly paper in Gross Point at the high school was um, actually really good journalism. Um, my advisor there um, was my mentor. My, until the day he died, he was one of my uh, closest mentors. Um, and I managed a staff of 40 people at age 17. And we got a paper out every week, and we won national awards doing it. And to bring a team together, to prioritize issues, to um, develop that level of integrity that you have to have in journalism, um, those were all life lessons as well. And I know some school papers, did it take a bit of an anti-institutional uh, role? Were you always kind of giving it to the administration? Not always, um, but I was once subpoenaed for an article I wrote about an administrator who uh, told me something on the record he wasn't supposed to. Of course, what? I wrote about it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How'd that end up? Uh I showed them all my notes and they said, okay, well, it wasn't your fault. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's keep it that way. Yep. Uh, now, how did you make the movement from, uh, or how did you decide to focus on local government? There's so many people in D.C. that are in the national or the international realm, and those of us in the local world, I think, are a special group. Yeah. So uh, what pointed you in that direction? Well, so I moved to D.C. after college, and I'd always wanted to be here, and that was really because I've seen this place always my whole life as the epicenter of change and wanted to be a part of that. And one of the things that's always been important to me, uh, as I mentioned from Girl Scouts, is to look for work. And when I looked around and saw what needed to be done, you know, I was definitely interested in federal work and did work in Congress for six years, but I realized there was something um, just as uh, pressing in my own neighborhood. And so living in Meridian Hill at the time, I got involved with the Neighborhood Watch. I organized a neighborhood cleanup. And from there, I really just kept moving deeper and deeper into local government and politics. Gotcha. 
Now, when you were running for the council, you, you were a commissioner and you were running against an incumbent. Now you're a council member and an incumbent. So what do you think that, uh, that uh, Commissioner Nadeau would have to say to Councilmember Nadeau uh, from the positive and from the maybe a little bit of uh, constructive criticism standpoint? Hmm. So, yeah, I so I, I took a little break, but it was so short you probably wouldn't have even noticed it. But I so I had sort of said I'm, I'm ready to move on from being an ANC. Um, I think there's other good leadership that can take this on, and I'd like to take a step back and see what I can contribute. And so I thought about it for a little while and said, I'm going to run for council. I think it's time for new leadership. Um, and uh, so the reason that I felt like I could have a bigger impact on council was um, ANCs um, are dealing with some of the the micro level things in the neighborhoods, very important things, you know, you were an ANC, but it sometimes feels like banging your head against a wall and you want to, you know, get ahead of these things or get at the root causes. You got to get in deeper. And so I thought, well, I could be a legislator. I could do oversight. I could provide constituent services all at the same time. Um, and do that on the council. What would I say to myself? Um, gosh, uh, I guess, um, good job on a few things and keep at it on a few others, but well, we've made some progress. I'm excited on on the way we've pushed executive agencies forward since I've gotten on the council on the way that I've been able to focus on affordable housing, education. Those are things that I couldn't have quite the same impact on as an ANC. What are the kind of things that you didn't have insight into when you were an ANC that now that you're at the council, you understand a little better, uh, for better or for worse, the process? And, and why things don't happen that the upside of being an ANC commissioner is that you have a bully pulpit and you're not responsible for anything. So uh, and I loved it. And I think it's an incredibly useful position. But you have all voice and no power. And then yeah. once you get on the council, you're supposed to have power. But the reality is the process itself yeah. is pretty daunting. Yeah. It, and, you know, you're constantly reminded as council member that you're part of the legislative branch, which means um, you're still depending on the executive branch to do a lot of the things that need to be done in the community. And so those relationships are so essential. The relationships I have with my colleagues on the council, with the mayor, the relationships my staff have with their counterparts in each agency, those are essential to getting the work done uh, in the ward and across the city. And it's certainly something that I knew from the ANC that those relationships are important, but it's just uh, such a larger scale. It really drives the point home. And uh, on a scale of one to 10, uh, in terms of where you'd love those relationships to be, where do you think they are and, and, and how do you wish they could get even better? You know, I, I have really positive relationships with the different government agencies. And I think that's because um, it's important to me to be respectful of the people that I work with, no matter what their job is. Um, it was important to me coming into this job that I was not ever embarrassing someone if they weren't doing their job the right way, but rather trying to help them and support them to do it better. Um, and really not grandstanding and not finger pointing. And I think when you take those things out of the equation, it's just a bunch of people trying to get their jobs done, me included. Uh, that definitely makes it um, easier to work together. Excellent. And, and I appreciate your attitude that you don't like to tell people they're doing a bad job at their job when you're a first time radio host. So <laughs> I'll, I'll appreciate your uh, indulgence. So um, we, we've sort of you're, you're, you've played the role in the council sort of of America's sweetheart that you've grown up 
with us, you know, since you joined the council, you, you got married, you, uh, you know, you've had a child. And I think that obviously has informed what you do on the council. But can you tell us a little bit about how things have changed? You, you've had yeah. some major lifestyle changes. Uh, I like that. I'm going to tell time. my husband I'm America's sweetheart. He's going to think it's pretty funny. Yeah. Um, so. Uh, it's true. When I was elected to council, I was a single girl living in my condo on 14th Street, you know, uh, doing my morning workout and going to happy hour after work. And now um, I have a husband and a house and a baby and um, don't get a lot of sleep. And sometimes I make it to the gym on a good day. But you know what it's really meant for me as council member is that I have such a deeper understanding of the experiences of my constituents. Um Living in a single family home, I'm just like everybody else, dealing with trash and recycling pickup, dealing with leaf pickup, dealing with snow shoveling, um, dealing with all the agencies that interact with homeowners, um, being a mom now, um, the struggle to find adequate childcare and to cover the costs of adequate childcare and thinking about the health of my child and family, um, adequate green space. These are all things that I was always committed to. But now I'm living them, and uh, I hope that it makes me an even stronger advocate for my constituents. Yeah, and having baby Zoe around, that, that is a, as a parent, it, it's a, obviously a blessing first and foremost, but it's also complicated. It's, yeah. it's so complicated uh, balancing even one job with the family, let alone uh, like a lot of constituents do multiple jobs. Yeah. Um, what what have you what have you seen as the uh, benefits and and the, the uh, hindrances of, of having a child as part of your life? Well, I'm really lucky because I um, run my own office and um, my constituents are happy for me that I have a new child and they're supportive of me and that means that. I've had more flexibility than a lot of people do. So before she was in daycare, I brought her into the office when I needed to, when she was real little, because, um, you know, didn't really have maternity leave. Um, and that's, of course, something that we've fought for for other families, but it's a little different when you're the principal and the council member. I saw the um, uh, the prime minister of New Zealand is going to take six weeks maternity leave, and I and put our deputy in charge, but council members don't have deputies. We have to show up for votes. Um, so that's been, I, I'm lucky is, is the, the short version of that. But, you know, I, I spend a lot more time now thinking about um, how I'm juggling everything, right? So I have an evening schedule. Um, it's not just a nine to five job and that's been tricky. Um, how do I make sure I have pumped enough milk for Zoe for the evening, you know, when I'm used to having her home and can just feed her when she's hungry? And how do I make sure I can find time to pick her up before I go to my evening things? And, um, you know, even with a supportive partner, those things are challenging. And I know that families struggle with that all the time. You know, you get your boss calls you in end of the day and you're supposed to be out the door to pick up your kid. And what do you do? Right. Or you're struggling with transit and a little kid. You know, I, I hear from moms all the time and dads, too, about taking their children on the bus or on the metro. And it's not easy. Um, even when you have a, a great system, it's not easy. So, yeah. And talk to me a bit about the decision that Baby Zoe is, is part of your active council life. Uh, Baby Zoe's been behind the dais. And yeah. you, you famously, I wouldn't bring this up if it hadn't been brought up on social media, but you did pump from the dais. Oh, yeah. and, and these were all uh, first-time things. Yeah. So that, But that's a decision. You right. Know, you know, you could keep the child hidden behind scenes and draw a yeah. firm line between the world. So talk to me a bit about that decision. So... Um, 
I guess it was a decision, but I think it mostly just happened that way in the sense that, um, you know, I have a job to do and now I have a baby and I have to figure out how both of those things can coexist. And um, when she was real little and I was her primary caregiver, um, she just came with me everywhere. And I wanted to have a little time with her at home, but it didn't really work out that I was home for a traditional period of time because I was um, working on the Homeless Services Reform Act and had to move that through my committee right when she was born. And um, we also had a number of important votes in the health committee. And I wanted to be sure my constituents knew that I was there representing them on the council because I am their person. Um, so it was uh, just a, just what I figured out, right? It was just the way we figured out I could do everything. The pumping on the day is... Um, I realized, especially when we have a longer agenda, um, that there's just no option other than that. Um, if I'm not chairing the meeting, then I'd be missing it. If I am chairing the meeting, I don't want to recess it. So we figured out we have the technology and, uh, I, now I pump on the dais anytime I need to. And I even sometimes pump in meetings in my own office because it's easy enough with the uh, technology I have and it doesn't seem to bother anyone, although I'm not sure anyone would say anything. I mean, you know, what are they going to say? Right. 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 And just just now <laughs> sitting here, it occurred to me that pumping on the dais could be sung to the tune of Rock Me Amadeus. <laughs> so if, well, if you would like to prepare that, I would be happy to rock with you on it. Yeah. Let's let's put together some lyrics. <laughs> uh, now, you mentioned the uh, the homeless services legislation. Yeah. It's definitely been one of the biggest uh, pieces of legislation that's come through the committee. Talk to me a bit about how policy is made, and and in the sense I say that, um, you're you're trying to balance what you know is good policy, what in your heart you know is right, mm-hmm. and what you can sell publicly, mm-hmm. and what is feasible yeah. in a bureaucracy. Absolutely. How do you pull those things together and make legislation that's worth? the name? That's a great question. And and it's something that I got my early education on also in the ANC in the sense that as an elected official, you're put in office to make decisions that are for the greater good uh, while listening to the voices that come to you and seeking out voices that might not. And so in terms of process, a bill like the Homeless Services Reform Act um, comes to the council. This one was drafted by the mayor's team. So sometimes council members introduce legislation, sometimes the mayor does. This one came from the mayor after 20-some community meetings. Um, and then it came to the council, and we had a hearing um, and heard from all of the people who um, consider themselves stakeholders. And we got a lot of feedback. Um, after the hearing, we then sat down. We spent all of our summer recess. For those who don't know, the council recesses from July to September um, so that we can work on projects um, sort of without the interruption of regular meetings. And um, so we worked on it all summer long, um, continued meeting with stakeholders, and uh, improved it. I mean, I think that's what happens is with all those conversations, you can make something better. That's the idea. Um, And then even when you've done that, I I think sometimes the the sign of a good piece of legislation is everyone's a little unhappy, you know, the true compromise. Um, And I think that's largely what happened with this legislation. Um, And, uh, but it was a very 
heavy lift. This was a, a complex piece of legislation. And essentially what it does, for those who don't know, is it reforms our emergency homeless system, which hadn't been reformed for more than 10 years. And the original legislation had been in place all that time. And we know so much more than we did when we created the system. So it was important to modernize it and make sure that families experiencing homelessness could properly access all the resources we have. How does it work when I think of a, a football receiver who sometimes gets a pass uh, thrown to him, jumps up, and he knows he's going to get nailed the second he ca- catches the ball. That's but it what has happened. To happen. <laughs> How do you do that when you know there is a correct policy decision that is going to be very unpalatable to the public, potentially on the surface? but is ultimately the correct policy decision. Like, what's the right way to work uh, through that? You know what? That's the most important part of the job. I mean, anyone can do the easy stuff, um, but it takes leadership to do the hard stuff. And for me, the hard stuff is why I'm here. So um, how do you do it? Um, for me, I make sure that I'm always listening, even to people that I disagree with, um, even to people who may be disrespectful, uh, because... Um, it's, it's important that everyone is heard. Now, you'll hear me say from time to time that uh, just because I don't agree with you does not mean that I didn't hear you. Um, I, I can't, uh, the bill, any bill can't be everything to everyone or you end up with sort of a mishmash of things and a bill that does nothing. Um, but that's the job. The job is to do the tough stuff, to stand up, to sometimes take it on the chin, um, get yelled at. Um, I spend a lot of time getting yelled at because uh, people want to voice their opinions and sometimes they do it loudly. Yeah, that's for sure. (laughs) Uh, Now, on a different policy matter, you were uh, sort of ahead of the Me Too movement. Mm. I know that that harassment, sadly, is is as old as time. Yeah. But you uh, introduced an anti-street harassment bill and had a hearing, and uh, it's... uh, seems very prescient now that the Me Too conversation is is uh, front and center. Yeah. Uh, talk to me a little bit about that topic, how that you just you, you, there's a limited number of topics you can tackle as a first, uh, you know, as a first term legislator. How did yeah. you decide to take that one on? Well, you know, one of the very um, distinct responsibilities of women in office is to elevate the voices of other women um, because we've been so underrepresented. Um, over the years. And uh, an issue that I am very familiar with and have experienced personally since the time I moved to the district is street harassment. So, and the, that, for those who don't know, is essentially um, harassment in public space, whether you're walking down the street or taking metro or what is colloquially referred to as street harassment, but it's really harassment in public spaces. And um, there are a lot of wonderful organizations in the district who work on this issue. Um, Once they uh, knew that I was passionate about it, we partnered up. And what was really moving to me was the first time we talked about it publicly was a roundtable in the Judiciary Committee a couple years ago, where women came and told their stories. And I could see each of my colleagues sitting on the dais really understanding for the first time, especially the men who hadn't really heard this. The thing is that women don't always go home and tell their partner, this happened to me on the street, because it's so much a part of our lives that we don't even think, oh, I should talk about it with someone. It's just sort of a part of our experience. So the male colleagues were sort of hearing these stories for the first time, and and I could see the way it put the issue into perspective for them. I was moved to tears several times that day. Uh, And from there, we 
drafted legislation. And um, I think we're on our way to markup now um, in this council period. And it just so happens that um, this issue and other issues impacting women and um, harassment are now coming to the forefront. So we, um, as you said, we're ahead of our time, um, but also at the same time, way behind. Right. Um, We're coming closer to the end of the show, so we're going to go into a bit of a speed round. Uh, So so short answers are preferred. I'll try. Uh, not that your previous answers have been over long, of course. They've all been just right. Fantastic. Um, what most irritates you about how the public perceives you in your council member role? Oh, gosh. Well, I you know, I try not to be irritated by the public, Josh. But um, I, I let's say this. I'm always trying to make sure that people know that I'm available to them in any way that's appropriate. Um, I'm out in the community doing telephone town halls, uh, coffee hours, um, public meetings. And I still sometimes say, oh, I, I, I don't see you out. And I said, all right, well, tell me where you are. And I'll start going to that place because I feel like I'm out all the time. Um, so I hope that for those that I haven't met yet, um, they'll take advantage of some of these programs I do out in community. Gotcha. Next question. Uh, your name is constantly mispronounced, <laughs> including by your colleagues. Yeah. So my question is, do you ever wish you were Jack Evans? <laughs> Just from a name perspective. Uh, I'm a I'm going to steer clear of answering that directly. And I will tell you that uh, when I first started, we sent, no joke, we sent a memo around to the colleagues and their chiefs on how to pronounce my name phonetically. And we were ridiculed for doing it. And some of the people who ridiculed me still can't say my name. So, Yep. It's tricky. Yeah. It's tricky. Yeah. Uh, now it's something we're going to make a, a regular feature, hopefully. Uh, as you remember, James Lipton from inside the Actors Studio, in an homage to Bernard Pivot of the seminal program Apostrophe, would ask all the guests the same 10 thought-provoking questions. Oh, goodness. I will not be asking these questions. <laughs> Instead, please rank in order of preference for you these five items. Candy, cake, cookies, ice cream, and pie. No, I will not. You must. <laughs> but why should one have to choose? It tells you so much. Okay. Uh, the options are candy cake, pie, ice cookies, cream. and ice cream. Yes. Okay. So ice cream was the thing that I ate every day when I was pregnant because I could. So I'm going to start with ice cream. Um, and then I'll go cookies, candy, Pie and cake only because cake can sometimes really be screwed up. So yeah, it's a valid point. Pie very rarely point. gets screwed up. So. It's a valid point. Yeah. It's it's the pie people I don't get, I have to be honest. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we can talk about that later, I think. Yeah. That yeah. could be a whole episode. Yep. Um, okay, uh, so I think we're going to wrap this up. And uh, I would just, uh, first of all, like to thank you so much for coming in and being the uh, inaugural uh, guest on, on this show that is clearly bound to go on to greatness. Uh, and uh, listeners, thank you also for your indulgence. And uh, be sure to tune in next time. Like I said, we'll be doing a council member a week. So uh, you'll have your choice. And uh, stay tuned. Stay tuned to DC Radio. Uh, We're at 96.3 on your HD4 dial or dcradio.gov. So once again, this is not a council hearing. This is hearing the council. I'm your host, Josh Gibson. Thank you.